Welcome to another episode of Comedy Wham Presents with me, your host, Valerie, and sometime co-hosts, Ms. Purrington and Mookie. ComedyWham.com is your place to go for features about all Austin comedy. In addition to podcasts, Comedy Wham brings you articles, album reviews, our advice column, Rochelle Takes on Comedy, our upcoming festivals page, which lists festivals from across the country and across the world, and our 2023 Cap City Comedy Club FPIA contest page is live, posting results as they happen. We're best known for our events page for live comedy shows in Austin, Houston, and DFW, where 100% of the entries you see come from comics and producers. If you want your show featured on the calendar, click the Submit a Show button from the top of the homepage or events page to complete the short survey. It's free and easy. Tag us on your Instagram stories and we'll share your show promo to our Instagram followers. Want to support these resources that we provide? You can donate to Comedy Wham on PayPal, Venmo, or even Patreon. Click the Support CW icon on our homepage at the top right to see the ways that you can help us. Now back to our podcast. Launched in 2016, the podcast project brings you funny people and their stories. As a fan, I like to delve into a comic's background and motivations and will usually take a detour along the way. Consider the interview a way for you to get to know the folks that make the Austin comedy scene one of the best in the country. If you like this podcast, please rate and review us. It's like on cue. That's so funny. Okay, today we're talking to somebody who began modeling at the age of eight in Japan. That's according to her website. I didn't stalk her. Uh, she's a comedian and actor, and she's a co-host of the Tex-Ass Comedy uh, Show, which features queer comedians, and also co-hosts Campfire Comedy. And she was part of the Lysistrata Comedy Festival team uh, earlier this year. And one of my favorite things about her, even though it's kind of silly, is that her Instagram feed is full of her roller skating escapades and it is so fun to just be brutally honest about how hard this stuff is and not just post the you know oh I landed the the whatever skill uh might be and now Comedy Wham presents our guest Sarah Spear. Hi. Hi. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. That was quite the intro. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah I told you a long-winded intro and then as if on cue, uh, my cat, Miss Purrington, uh, is trying to get inside. She will figure it out, but we're now going to both be distracted by No, it's her great. Attempts. It's great. She's got that look of determination in her eyes, and I'm yeah. confident she'll, she'll get through before, oh, before we're done. Yeah, oh, hello. She's, yeah, she's, she's giving she's, me the look. She's and like, we have Why? another guest. Oh, is this, this must all, be Mookie. They're all yeah. coming up, oh, yeah. Boy. Now we're, we might have a cat fight. <laughs> all right, well, I'm, I'm available if I need to separate. <laughs> no, I have no, three no. dogs at home, oh, so. You're, yeah, you're well-versed yes, in the Yes, yes. Of, lots of animal heartbeats yeah. moving around the house. It's my favorite. I wouldn't have it yeah. any other way. Nice. Well, Sarah, welcome. Um, I, I, I have an official icebreaker question. All right, okay. let's go. So it is one word to describe your past. One word to describe my past. Chaotic mm. is probably the word I would use. And I mean that in a good way, not necessarily yeah. like, you know, a swirling vortex of entropy. Um, <laughs> I, I mean that in, uh, I, I'm a Navy kid, so... Yeah. My background was moving around a lot, anywhere from every six months to a couple of years. Wow. I, I was born in another country. I grew up in another country. I've gotten to meet a lot of people that don't look like me or talk like me. Yeah. And it's been a very, uh, I, I think that's very lovely. I'm, I'm not sure what it would have been like to grow up in one place, but I feel really grateful that I had the experiences that I did, yeah. but that doesn't mean that it wasn't chaotic. So yeah, yeah just sure. a lot of moving around and I think I'm pretty adventurous because of it in mm -hmm. a good way. So I think, I think it's good. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the moving around explains why you happen to be in Japan when you. Exactly. The yes. Yes. My dad was based in a, a, I don't know, I guess military base right outside of Tokyo. Mm -hmm. And so we lived there for about three years. Yeah. And my mom was definitely 
one of those moms that wanted her kids to try everything at least once. And she took my brother and me out on modeling trips. My brother decided he'd rather play Sonic the Hedgehog on (laughs) Sega Genesis. And I decided I really liked being behind a camera or in front of a camera, not behind the camera, in front of the camera. So uh, that was kind of the early, like I learned how to dance. I learned how to model and I was, you know, eight years old in another country. So yeah. Yeah. Do you speak other languages? Oh, goodness, no. I mean, I lived in Japan. It's, you know, been two decades since I lived in Japan. I spoke a tiny, tiny bit. I can maybe introduce myself if that's... I don't even know if it's right anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I am currently learning Spanish. Uh, I would love to be fluent in Spanish, but right now I probably have the conversational abilities of like a three-year-old mm. to a four-year-old. <laughs> so very, very yeah. bad conversation. <laughs> but I'm trying. I'm, yeah, you know, one day I'll get there. Yeah, one day I'll get there. Yeah, <laughs> very nice. Uh, okay, so one of the character traits that military kids have is they can drop into any new situation and figure their way out, either socially or just, you know, I don't know, what is there other than socially? Uh, And that is one of the things that struck me about you when I I, I heard about you, uh, but I don't get out to as often as I would like, but I got to meet you in person at the Lysistrata Comedy Festival and some of the prep work for that. And it was very clear that you are very good in social situations. Like you're very friendly, you're you're naturally, you're a welcoming personality type. Um, did you, uh, when you started figuring out what your personality was, did you realize that all of these moving around things was forming that personality trait? I would say absolutely, because like you said, I had to make friends mm-hmm. uh, in new countries every six months to a year, you know? It was one of those things where, I had to learn how to read people and read a room and learn how to, you know, be really inclusive and empathetic and friendly. And I was doing this, you know, as a, as a small child. And I do think that that has given me like a chameleon superpower to be able to kind of drop into, I'd say most situations and either, I don't know if I would say like not get myself into trouble, but, or at least enough to be likable and people would be like, okay, she's, she's cool. She's cool. Um, but yeah, definitely. I mean, I was making friends, I mean, as young as, you know, four five, six, I had to like make new friends over and over again. And it was just kind of this like thing that just kept happening. Cause when the military told us to move, we had to go. And so we went. Yeah. Was there any spot that you landed in where you're like, man, I couldn't, I couldn't make the friends. I'm glad we're out of here. Oh goodness. Um, <laughs> Let's talk trash about. Yeah, you know, about my about uh, my past. Yeah. No, I love this. I love this. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like my most difficult, uh, I don't know, part of making friends and being an adult. It's been being an adult, actually. Like, mm. like not necessarily in school. I mean, I was I went to like nerd schools my whole life. I went to math and science academies, <laughs> and I know, right? I know. How did I end up a comedian? <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I, you know, I was definitely not cool even at the nerd school, you know, so I'm like used to just being kind of like one of those people that never really fit into any group. I would be one of those people that people knew of me and they generally liked me, but I wasn't like, oh, you know, she was, I mean, I did theater, but they wouldn't even call me a theater kid or I played volleyball, but it wasn't like a sports person or whatever, you know, just kind of like this person that did a whole bunch of stuff and kind of like knew people. Um, but I would say the most difficult part for me, I think, was honestly when I moved to Austin. Really? Yeah. I've been in Austin for about eight years, but making friends as an adult is really, really thing. hard. It's a whole different thing. And I had previously lived in New York City and Chicago, but when I moved to those places, I knew people. So I already mm. kind of had like a network to plug into. Yeah. And while I did have some friends here, I felt like our lives were kind of diverging into just different paths. You know, I had a friend that got married and had a kid, and so they're very busy and those sorts of things. And so our lives were just very different. And I felt like I didn't really feel comfortable in Austin until, I don't know, a full year or two Mm -hmm. after I moved here. And 
I had never had problems making friends. And I kept asking myself, like, what is wrong with me? Like, did I just all of a sudden become this person that, like, couldn't make friends anymore? I even wrote, I mean, it's very bad and I won't share it with people yet, but I wrote a, a television pilot on being an adult with anxiety and having to make friends. And... It was really therapeutic because I shared it with a few of my other comedian friends and they were like, this really resonates. It's not just you that can't make friends in their late 20s, early 30s. You know, it's very difficult when you kind of already have this established life and you have to find people that already kind of fit into those values that you share. Mm -hmm. It's like very different than making friends as kids where you're still figuring out a lot of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I wonder if your brain is trained, even if it's subliminally trained, I know that in six months to a year, I'm going to be able to move somewhere else. And it'll be sad because I'm going to hate leaving the friends that I just made behind because some of them might be like, these are my, my ride or die people, and I have to leave that behind. But I know that at a certain point, I get, I'm going to move again. And then when you have to pick a place, and the idea is you're going to stick around for a while, that's got to be, that, that's, that's got to be a tough, tough thing. It was because yeah. when I moved to Austin, I knew I wanted to be in the same place for multiple years in a row. I, I, I had been in New York for about four years and that was probably one of the longer yeah. uh, <laughs> amounts of time I had spent in one place. Um, Austin is definitely coming up on the like longest place I lived anywhere because if you combine all the years, uh, I lived in Virginia for quite some time mm-hmm. and I'm quickly coming up on Austin being the place I've lived the longest. So yeah. it's funny when people ask me where I'm from, I'm like, do you want to know where I was born or do you want to know yeah. how long I've lived in a certain place? And usually I'm just like Virginia-ish, like <laughs> ish. <laughs> Like, that's where I went to college and high school, so I say that. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Okay, so uh, you liked being in front of the camera. You did the modeling. You did the theater. So performance is something that is rooted in you throughout all of this. What about comedy specifically? Was there something like a comedic element to your life growing up? I mean, yeah, I, I would say so. Um, I, I know everyone always says they're, you know, like weird and quirky and I don't necessarily mean it in that way. Like I promise I don't mean it in that way, but you know, there are just, I've always found myself in situations that are so incredibly random or that you think only happen to people on TV. And it was one of those things where I would tell somebody that that's something that I experienced and people would be laughing and, they're like, how do you get into these situations? I mean, my mom, for real, like every time something happens to me, she's like, Sarah, I, what's going on with the universe in you? Like, you, like the things that I've been through, I mean, I could go off on a few, but just very silly things or even very um, traumatic things, you know, and I think like those all bring about uh, different, you learn about how to talk about those things, especially the stuff that's been really bad or difficult, yeah. you know, and, and something that I always used to talk about serious things was comedy. Hmm. I remember when I was in high school, I had we had to do in my theater class a, a very like dramatic monologue and a very comedic monologue. And that was the first time that I had ever experienced people laughing at something that I had said. I know I didn't write it, but I went through this monologue and the laughs I got and I think that was one of those things that w- that reminded me like, oh yeah, talking about things in a funny way, even if that experience was really embarrassing for you, it people can relate to that. Yeah. And that was kind of that moment that I, I jumped on it and, and I didn't get into comedy until much later. Um, I ended up getting into comedy because I dated somebody who was in the comedy oh. scene and I lived in Chicago and he was very, very talented and he still does comedy, uh, lives in LA now, <laughs> but he was kind of that inspiration for me wanting to get into it. And I remember being, you know, at one of his shows and I was like, I can do this. I mean, I definitely couldn't right away. It was very bad for a very long time as you should be when you learn a new skill. Um, But yeah, there were, there were a lot of moments that I can recall that made me realize that comedy was such a great way to tell people stories, especially Mm -hmm. if the topics are kind of challenging to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. So, Let's fast forward to being in Chicago and uh, the, oh, I can do this moment, and then actually getting up on the stage to perform stand-up the first time. How did you prepare? Okay, so I said I could do this when I lived in Chicago. It wasn't until I moved to New York City that I got the guts 
It wasn't until this person and I broke up, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, that's kind of an intimidating situation. It was very, well, it was very intimidating. And I was one of those people that was like, I don't want you to think I'm copying you. You know, like it was very, I don't know. I think about it now and I'm like, that was very silly. Like multiple people can have similar interests and not be copying. Um, But I was so young at the time. And, and when you asked, did I prepare? uh, The answer is I didn't really prepare because I didn't really know what to do. I wrote three ideas on a sticky note and I walked across the street because there was a bar on 14th and 1st. It's still there. I just went recently and watched a World Cup game there. I think it was a couple years ago and they used to have an open mic in the back and I got on stage and just talked for three minutes I didn't get any laughs, and the guy that went up after me roasted me. (gasps) No, but here's the thing. When I ended up leaving the bar, the first thing that went through my mind was, that was amazing. I have to do Ah. it again. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why I didn't. I didn't cry. I didn't didn't get upset. I was Uh just like, I mean, he's right. I wasn't funny. (laughs) I, I need to work on that. So yeah, I uh, I learned about preparation in the many, many attempts after that. Yeah. But I am definitely one of those people that sometimes just do things on a whim and I don't necessarily take the time to figure out what that really entails mm. uh, for better or worse. Yeah. And that was one of those things that I just thought, I'm going to go do this and see what happens. And here I am still doing it many, many years <laughs> later. So was that lesson learned about the preparation, uh, was that a overnight revelation or did that take you a little bit of trial and error? It took me a bit of trial and error. And honestly, I still think to this day, I kind of struggle hmm. with it in some aspects, but it was one of those things where when you get up and you just start bombing and bombing and you know you want to get better at something, you have to kind of figure out that what you're doing isn't working and that you need to try something different. And that's what started getting me into this process of talking to other comedians, watching other comedians, um, starting to write down any idea that I had, even if I didn't know how to turn it into a joke yet. And it started building my process. The the more that I bombed, the more I realized I needed the process. Mm. Uh, I still love bombing to this day. Actually, <laughs> really? I do. That's I think it's so very, I think it's very refreshing. It's very humbling, and it reminds you that even if you have spent many years on a skill, that it still continues to take work every single day to keep getting better yeah, at it. Yeah. And that's actually something roller skating taught me too. I started mm-hmm. roller skating two and a half years ago, and that really solidified the if you want to get good at something, you have to practice. You have to do it over and over again. You have to fail. You have to be okay with failing. You have to love the process of this because there's never going to be a final end. Like I don't imagine in comedy or even in roller skating that I'm going to get to a point where one day I say, well, I've learned all the tricks and I've told all the jokes and there's nowhere to go from here. You know, so I think that was one of the things that – really taught me like that process is so important and you do need to fail and you do need to to know what that feels like and take those failures and do something with them yeah yeah um that's a a very positive outlook on on failure uh i i i won't name the person but there was i went to a show recently the room was very difficult, and I don't know why the room was difficult, but this is somebody that's accomplished TV credits, and they had a really hard time bringing the room together, and I'm like, dang, you know, like you said, no matter, there's no end point, it doesn't matter the level of accomplishments that you've got, you're going to be taken down a peg every once in a while, and I, I wonder if it gets harder and harder to be taken down a peg when you reach, you know, higher levels or if you just you've been in it so long at that point that you know you're going to get taken down a peg I think maybe it's both I mean recently I I had my funniest person in Austin competition uh spot and I didn't move to the next round and that really hit me because I felt like I had done a really really good job like I was really proud of my set I I was like I really think I have a chance at moving to the next round and I and I didn't and it's completely fine right yeah. like that room might have just not been all the people that would have resonated with my jokes or 
it could have also just been that the other people that went through performed better. You know, it, there's so many variables. Yeah. So it's hard to just blame it on any one thing. And it's not really blame. It's just like, this is what happened. Yep. But I did take that really hard. Mm. I mean, I definitely went home and had a good cry. Okay. I definitely took a little break from Instagram because I was watching other people like getting their wins. And I was like, I can't emotionally deal with this right <laughs> now. Um, but yeah, it, I think still it's very possible that when you get taken down that peg or didn't necessarily achieve the goal that you thought you were going to achieve it can be really devastating um and I think part of the reason why is the more that you start loving and doing something you know it's easy to take it harder when you've spent a bunch of time on it when you've done the work and you still don't get the outcome that you thought you were going to get or that you thought you deserved yeah um that happens all the time and I think it's very easy to take that really really hard um, so yeah, there are some times when I can just brush things off and I'm like, whatever, it's fine. Like it just was a bad day, not a yeah. big deal. And then there are other times when I'm like, no, I really was affected by this and I need to acknowledge my feelings and maybe take some space from some stuff for a while. Yeah. And, um, learning the difference between those moments is also something that I'm trying to figure out. Um, but I did know yeah. that when I didn't pass through the next round, I was like, I need to take a step back yeah. for just a minute because, I was grinding so much. I was like doing so much and I was burning myself out. And I think that was a really Uh good lesson. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I see you bring that finger up. I think it was a really good lesson to be like, well, that's also something you need to know too is not burn yourself out. And so, you know, I'm I'm forever learning. It's just a forever learning process. I've watched FPIA now for close to 10 years where I like really follow it very closely and you may not know the name, but old school comics uh, will remember, will know this name. He also has a radio show. Matt Bearden uh, had a very long running. He was a past FPIA winner, and he uh, ran a very long running show called Punch. I finally got him on, on, on podcast. And one of the things that he shared with me about FPIA was so like condensed, but very profound that even though it's called Funniest Person in Austin, it's really funniest person on that night in front of the people that happened to show up that night, especially now that they have it like audience judged in the early rounds. It didn't used to be run that way. It used to be judges (laughs) uh, would judge every, every level of the competition. And if you think about some of the people that have gone on to achieve great things, they never won FPIA. So I'm so glad you said this. These things, then it's like, yeah. and I do remember in the before times when the scene was much smaller, uh, I would witness some really bad behaviors leading up to FPIA. Like people were just putting so much importance into this contest. And I get it, it's important. You want the crown, you want the money. It is. You want an the you want thing. the visibility. Maybe getting on Moon Tower, or you know, you want. Yes. There's all these things that you're like. There's so much riding on this one experience, right? And that I think can be to a detriment for sure. Yes. Yeah. But you do have to be reminded that there are names like Vanessa Gonzalez, Martin Urbano, Daniel Webb, or like the ones I can toss off, who never want it. Yeah. They're on TV. They're touring with Margaret Cho. They. They are funny. Yeah. Nick, so. I'm so glad you said that because when I lived in New York, I did a lot of improv when I was beginning to start stand-up too. I usually did it for like the kind of the inspiration for writing, but there were uh, at Upright Citizens Brigade and I think multiple theaters, they have house teams and you can audition for a house mm-hmm. improv team and you get to perform there and it's very prestigious yeah. for the improv community and I never made it onto a house team. Mm. And I remember there was one time where someone came up to me and said, you know the girls from Broad City? They never got on a house team either at UCB. And look at what they're doing. And I was like, oh, yeah. You know, like you don't need – sure, that thing might help or it might give you exposure to something. But there's no one path that you can follow to get to where you want to go. And once I was able to take the time and space, I told myself, I can always do Funniest Person next year or there's so many other things I could do in the next year that I don't necessarily need – to have won that competition to prove to anyone that like I'm funny or that what I'm doing is still very important to me, you know? And so it's good to have those reminders because 
hearing that, you're like, yeah, okay. So they, he, he didn't win, but he's like on tour mm-hmm. with famous, other famous comedians right now. It's very inspiring. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, yeah, remember that, that lesson. Throw, you know, work hard at it because it's what you want to do. But work hard at it for other reasons too. Yes. Not the end goal. It's easy yeah. to get caught up in that end goal though, yeah. you know, because again, oh. there isn't really an end goal, but in my head I was like, well, if I want to get on moon tower, or if I want people to see me, if I want bookers to see me, I'm going to have to do this yeah. thing. And it's like, no, there's other ways you can still achieve those goals. You don't have to yeah. put so much pressure on this one experience. Yeah. The, the, you know, I, I had a conversation with Rochelle very early on when she was back in Austin and she was like, you know, I really want to get on, on Moon Tower. And I said, well, this is, this is the formula that I have seen that works. Because you do good at the FPIA, but that doesn't mean you win the FPIA. You have a good performance at FPIA and you get the crowd and you're, you know, it's Cap City generally judging, you know, how good you are. Relatively clean set, polished, confident. If you do that, they might say, you know what, we'd like to test drive you for, you know, a hosting spot cap do good with that oh well we'd like to put you maybe on on moon tower so there's there's formulas for certain things that seem to work but who wants to live by formula right do your thing like i love yeah i love that you've been doing the the text and i i I, do i say text ass is that i we say text ass but if you want to say texas i will also accept I'm going to do Texas. You've been doing yeah. Texas comedy for, you're close to two years close now, Close to two years, you? yep. And I love that you've been doing that, and it's, you know, providing an inclusive showcase. It's highlighting queer comedies. That's good to do for the scene. It so. was important to me to do for the scene. And it also, in a way, you know, I ended up, hosting the show I'm learning how to host that's a really important part too like I'm learning all these other skills how to market a show how to Mm -hmm. book a show you know how to do all these things how to I'm like running a business I literally put Texas on my uh, taxes last year. Like Texas was on my taxes. Like the, the government had to recognize Texas as a business last it. year, <laughs> which was so exciting, yeah. you know? And so I'm learning all these other things that, you know, maybe it's not directly to my joke writing or my mm-hmm. performance, but I'm learning about this marketing, these marketing skills yeah. so I can maybe get my name out there or I'm learning how to run a business. So if I do ever want to go part-time on my uh, day job that I could you know, I know how to like run the money, run the business side of things, you know, so I'm still, I'm still grateful for all the experiences that it's given me and it's doing really, really well. You know, I, I don't have plans to end it anytime soon. We've been experimenting with different venues. I want to start submitting it to festivals. I mean, I have a big, hopefully a big future for the show and we added a new person to the team. Nice. We have three people on the team now. I mean, it's, it's growing. It's very exciting. Yeah. Okay, so you just remember that yeah. when you have those, you know, take down a peg moments. Yes, yes, and they will continue to happen. I will Absolutely. have more of them. Yeah. They will not, they don't just end, so, yeah. I need to, like, post-it notes just lining, like, my bathroom right now that say, you know, like, it's going to be okay, and you know, all, all that all that weird crap you see on, like, Pinterest, you know? Yes. Live, laugh, love, whatever whatever the thing is. I know, I know. My mom actually got me a live, laugh, love sign, and I got rid of it. And then she came to visit me and asked where I was. And I just said, Mom, that's, it's just not for me. She was like, oh, I would have taken it back. (laughs) Anyways, my mom's live, laugh, love person, and I'm not. (laughs) Might be a generational thing. I mean, I would not own a live, laugh, love thing either, but, you know. Absolutely not, no. I was embarrassed that it was even in my house for the, like, the little time that it was. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God, we could totally dissect that because laugh I mean it's what we're doing right it's comedy it's like no I don't want to see that on a dumb hokey sign no I don't and live okay yeah sure like (laughs) I'm trying to live every single day you know (laughs) it's hard out there um let's talk about uh some other stuff that you get into you 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 do acting and you 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 represented 
So that's I am cool. represented. I love my agent. She's been my agent for many years. Wow. I actually have a pretty cool audition that I need to submit Ooh, this weekend nice. for something out in LA that I'm really excited nice, about. Nice, nice. Yeah, Zephyr Talent Agency, she... I took an acting class and I performed uh, a piece in in the class and mm-hmm. she was there and she gave me her card and want, assigned me pretty much immediately after that. So one of those right place, right time sort of things. But also, you know, I worked really hard on the piece that I did yeah. and it was really exciting to have somebody literally help me become a professional yeah. actor. And I've booked national commercials. Wow. I've booked very silly little things. Uh, oh. You know, it's been very fun. I've done plays. I've done all sorts of stuff. It's been really a fun ride for yeah. sure. Yeah, because in, in my mind, I think, oh, you can you can perform comedy multiple times a, a night and, you know, kind of get, get that bug out of out of your system on, on a daily basis. But acting, you know, you have to go through the audition process. So how do you, how do you chase after those things? You know, you've got the, the agent, which helps immensely, but... I imagine there's not that much acting stuff going on and let's save aside the the strike that's that everyone's dealing with but uh it based here in austin we're not we're not a film film town no we we had an incentives program many years ago and they got rid of it and my understanding is they're bringing it back but i don't know when or to what extent, so I'm not necessarily um, like holding my breath on what that's going to look like. Yeah. I will say most of the work that you can get here is going to be commercial work, mm-hmm. commercial or voiceover, so l- a lot less opportunities for film and episodic work will come through. Yeah. Uh, my agent started to cast out of L.A. as well, and I can technically work as an L.A. local. I have family out there, so... Mm-hmm. I'm really lucky that I can audition for stuff out there and not have to find a place to live if I wanted to make that work. So she started submitting me for stuff in LA, which is why I have this, this like film audition. Um, A lot of the film stuff out here is going to be like indie stuff. You know, it's, it just kind of depends on what the local group is doing. You know, there, I mean, there's UT, there's a lot of people in film school. You can do like film school work. Um, But some of that just doesn't pay like, you know, getting like a, yeah. a union job and you don't want to be union here, you know, yeah. because no one will hire you. <laughs> um, so even though like I'm eligible to be in SAG, I, I choose not to. Like I, I, although at a certain point I'll have to, because if yeah. you do so many jobs, they'll make you do it. But as of right now, I, I haven't hit that threshold yet. So mm-hmm. um, I'm just doing what I get, you know, opportunities to do and I hope that whatever incentives come back, that shows will start filming here again. I think that'd be really good just even for the local economy. Yeah. I mean, the amount of people that can get jobs when a show is filming here is yeah. pretty incredible. Uh, even down to background acting. I mean, that's a whole industry in and of itself. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of work uh, that can be had when a TV show or a movie comes in films. Yeah. So hopefully we'll see more of that yeah. in the coming months to years. But again, I, I need to follow that a little more closely than I have been. I don't really know, like I said, to what extent we're going to get that. If you listen to NPR, yeah. like, you know, a nerd does, uh, I actually just heard an article about this on the Texas Standard, which is like a really great, like, it balances NPR, but it's like very Texas-focused uh, culture, arts, business, politics, the whole thing. They were talking about the incentive program. It did pass in Congress or the state legislature, and it was either one or two, couldn't, would, would it be million? I mean, I would think you'd want more incentives than that. It was like a couple million dollars, and it was passed, and like the coffers were opened up, and then the strike happened. And there's an expiration date on the incentives. Of course there is. So, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So it's a double-edged sword because... The goal is you want to be able to demonstrate that the incentives had the right impact on the Texas economy. Well, if you've got the strike and everything is shut down and you've got this expiration date for the incentives, you're not going to be able to show that. And they they cited like these various film productions that moved out of state because the incentives were so much better. And even shows that had been filmed in Texas, like The Fear of Walking Dead had been filmed in Texas for a few seasons and then they you know got out of Dodge. And it's like, oh, my God, this is such a no-brainer to encourage the film industry because, like you said, you went down to the background actors, I'm thinking, and this article was talking about 
catering businesses. Catering, yep. People building props, people, I mean, PAs, everything. I mean, the amount of work that's available on a set is, there's a ton of things to do. So much, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of like, oh my God. And for a while, it felt like the state was more on board with with encouraging that. But, oh, okay. Like, the door's randomly opening. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You have roommates. (laughs) Yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, anyway, okay, so that's cool that you're getting to do acting and you kind of get to have your foot in two worlds. And, mm-hmm. this, and you're, we're just all waiting for the strike stuff to work out. It does not look promising. No. As far as I mean, I can the writer's tell. strike has been what? It's going on its third month or something? I mean, at least, yeah. It's, yeah, it's really stressful. And I have a lot of friends in the industry in New York and LA that yeah. are like, we just want to go back to work. Please, yeah. please listen to us. We're just trying to make a living, you know yeah. what I mean? Like it's, it's insane. Um, but yeah, I hope I hope we see some progress with that soon because it's been really painful for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, on that note, <laughs> on that happy note, <laughs> let's take our little intermission break with the uh, game. Where should we begin? Ooh, Which, yes. Uh, we both talked, <laughs> and I guessed correctly that you had played this game with Mimi Meyer. Yes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Because when I interviewed her and she saw the, she's like, oh my God, Ethel, she's the best. (laughs) And I'm like, I never look at who does the game. Oh my God. I love that. Of course she knew who created the game too. And then she hyped Esther has a, has a podcast. Oh, well, maybe I should check it out. I don't think she told me that when we played. Oh yes. But we were also doing tarot card reading. So we had a bunch of stuff going on. Okay, so this game was gifted to me by uh, the, the secret uh, Richard Goodwin, who is the person who designs and runs the website, and uh, he gave me this game, and, and I think it's been really fun to ask people questions. So you're going to point to one of these two cards, and okay. I'm going to read it off to you. All this right. one. So this card. Okay. Ooh. Uh-oh. <laughs> Might practice those dramatic uh, comedic skills here. The memory I wish I could erase. Oh dear! That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Oh god! Just like which, which one? I know. I'm like, how traumatic do we want to get on this comedy podcast? I promise I won't pick anything triggering. Um, okay, let's see. Uh, a memory that I wish. This question is so interesting because I've been working really hard to have the mindset of. I'm really proud of where I am, and the reason why I am where I am is because of the weird twists and turns that came along the way. So the one thing that I that immediately came to my mind that wasn't incredibly traumatic <laughs> was I remember in high school, I, you know, I was going to math and science schools my whole life. I, I've always been kind of the the math kid, the little nerdy kid. Um, I, you know, I played instruments. I did, I did all the things that you would expect somebody going to like a math and science academy to do. Yeah. Um, so I did that. I was in high school. I had a really great GPA. I did really well in the SATs. And I remember that my guidance counselor, when I was applying to colleges and I wasn't sure, you know, do I apply to a major? Do I just apply undecided? She told me that women go into marketing. Ugh. And I was like, well, first of all, marketing is a skill that I don't really have, and it's very valuable. And, and, and all of that aside, right, like that, that, all of that aside, I was like, I literally just went to school my entire life for math and science, and you didn't say anything about engineering or finance or anything that had yeah. to do with numbers or some sort of science-based oh role. God. And I got a degree in marketing. <gasps> yeah, I did. Um, I went to art school too. I ended up, I ended up also getting an art degree, but I am a software developer now by day. I ended up going to one of those three month programs and I just wonder how different would my life have been if they had encouraged me to potentially be an engineer or, or a different kind of role. And, you know, my parents were one of those people that were just like, we just want you to be happy. Like, you know, Mm. if, if you don't know what to do, business is always a good idea you know, she, ha- my mom has a business degree. She's a financial counselor. And so she's always been, she's like a numbers person too. And so it just was easy to kind of fall into that. But I think, especially now as I'm mentoring, I love mentoring women and non-binary folks uh, that are interested in getting into tech. That's yeah. one of my passions outside of comedy and roller skating. 
now that I'm doing that, I just wonder if I had been doing this since my twenties and not since like my early twenties, not since my early thirties, what would be different, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, but the funny thing is I still ended up here. So even though I had a, even though I had a detour, I had this whole other career, I was able to still figure out that this was in fact what I wanted to do. And yeah did a career switch in my wow. early 30s. Like, Ooh. very normal, well-adjusted people. <laughs> well, it's amazing that you turned that around, and that, that really pains me that you were told that, because, I mean, I don't... I, that would have been 15, 20 years I graduated ago? in 2004. It's been about 20 years. Yeah, we're about to have our 20th I mean, high school reunion next year. I can't oh even. God. Anyways, yeah, so it's been about 20 years. So I would like yeah. to th- like to have thought that in the twenty aughts or however you would say it, that we weren't saying a uh, women have to be compartmentalized to one specific this, industry, especially when your background is in STEM. Oh, that pisses me off! Isn't that wild? Yeah. I still think in the early two thousands that was the messaging. Yeah. And unless you were encouraged by friends or your family or yeah. other people in the industry. It's very easy to get lost. I mean, you're 18 freaking years old. I'm 37 and I still barely know what I want to do with my (laughs) life. You know what I mean? I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do when I was 18. So anyways, I could talk about that for hours. But I will say that that's probably a memory that uh, if I would just say if that didn't happen, I bet things would be different. But I'm still very happy with where I ended up. So I mean, the cool thing is you kind of – you, your brain had been trained in the very technical realm, but then you got the, the art and the marketing, which cr- requires more creativity. So being able to blend the two talents, kind of cool. I still am grateful for both of those things because, you yeah, know, sure. I, like I said, I'm still learning about marketing skills to this day on how to, you know, run even just like my businesses, um, even down to, you know, you know, just like, how do I, how do I present myself online and stuff like that? Um, and then with the art, I mean, I'm, I love, I've always been a creative person. I love that. Um, and I think I was so drawn to it because it was so different than what I had done my entire life. Mm -hmm. And even now, like I'm building, I work on the front end. So I work on like the user interface that people see in a product. And so I'm building those things, those building the buttons and the forms and da 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 uh-huh. and you know I can tell when something is like poorly designed or really well oh God, designed please yeah. don't look at our website <laughs> but but I have that experience because <laughs> yeah. I went and got a graphic design degree so uh would I design stuff on my own at this point probably not uh I still did use Squarespace for my website <laughs> as a technical creative I still used a service because um, who has the time? Yeah, exactly. But yeah, it's it's something that I'm still grateful I have those experiences. Yeah. And I wouldn't have traded art school for the world. I mean, it was such a fun, I mean, the creativity, the people that you were, I was around was just yeah. absolutely incredible. The, like wealth of talent that I would just see somebody pick up like a piece of charcoal and make a whole world on a tiny piece of paper. Mm-hmm. And I would just be so enthralled because... I don't know. I love stuff. I love it when people make something out of nothing. It's yeah. just so cool. Yeah. It's so cool. That was a fun time in my life, <laughs> being in art school, for sure. Nice. Nice. All right. Well, let's uh, put me through the paces. All righty. Okay. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> this would also have been a really uh, interesting one for me to answer. The hardest things to talk about in my family are... Ooh, well, we're kind of going through that right now. Uh, uh, oh, it's tough. So my mom is starting to exhibit the early stages of dementia. And it's hard to have conversations about that. Yeah, because I bet. It's depressing. And... She feels bad. We just had an incident where she forgot to feed my cat because we went out to see a show, and I'd asked, and she felt terrible. She didn't even realize it until we had the conversation, like, the day after. And it's like, you know, this person raised you to be who you are, and for that, you're so grateful. And yet, to see them in decline, and to admit, like, your own feelings about what it is to witness that, it's tough. Yeah, I can only imagine. I I have a grandparent that 
I don't know if it's technically early signs of dementia, but she has been getting more and more forgetful and I've seen her health decline as well. And, you know, that's not even my like direct parent. I mean, I love my grandparents. Don't get me wrong. Like I'm not saying I'm not close to them, but I can't imagine it being like my mother, Mm -hmm. you know, I bet that that's a very, it's gotta be very challenging, you know, cause it's, it's not anyone's fault, right? you know, but it's this situation that you have to figure out how to manage. And I don't think there's any easy way to manage something like Mm -hmm. that. There just, there isn't. Yeah. 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 So there you go. Again, these are great topics for a comedy podcast. We're really killing it. Exactly. What should we talk about? What should we talk Uh, about next? Uh, Climate change? Climate change. Oh, my God. (laughs) Let's see. Genocide. Patricide. God, we have so... The the topics are endless. School shootings. All the space junk. Yeah, yeah. School shootings are a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Trans rights in Texas. How about, you know... Any women's rights in Texas, too. Women's rights. Good Lord. (laughs) We're really just moving backwards. (laughs) Oh, my God. I hate the state so much. I know. There's a lot I like about Texas, and then at the end of the day, I'm like, oh, right. It's still Texas. (laughs) For better and for worse. Yeah. Yeah. I I know. Definitely challenging. Two two trans couples who are leaving the state, and I'm like, but I love you, and I want you to stay so I can see you, and... But I don't know their, you know, how hard it is for them yeah. firsthand. I can and see it. And if they don't feel safe, you know, like, there's, it's not worth it, you know? No. Yeah. No. Oh, that's so heartbreaking to hear because mm-hmm. there's a lot of great people in Texas, and it just doesn't make sense that people don't understand that they're just people. Like, we're all just people, you yeah. know? Yeah. It's, it's, it, it blows my mind. Yeah. yeah. So thank you to the states that recognize transgender people as people because they are yeah <laughs> i don't know why Crazy i have to concept. i don't know why i have to say that but <laughs> here we are 2023 guys here i thought we'd have flying cars and i'm still just trying to have control over my own uterus right. you know <laughs> oh my god how dare you <laughs> i know i'm so sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry anyways i'm sure there's much better things we can talk about all right uh, okay natural segue N- segue yeah uh Okay, so you're performing stand-up, and uh, at what point did you decide that you wanted to start producing your own show? I, oh, that's a good question. I had been producing, like, improv shows and stuff in New York, and I was really big on, uh, you know, one of the shows I ran in Brooklyn was, it was a women-focused comedy show. You had to have, uh, whether it was a female writer or director or actor or performer or whatever, in your in your performance to be on the show and that was something that I I just started because I I was on an improv team and we called ourselves the big sexy bros I still don't know why we we did that it's a very funny name but anyways it was an all-woman team and we were all really really passionate about women in comedy and so we were like let's do the big sexy bro show where all we do is have badass women like come perform and so you know that was so much fun I didn't I didn't put the effort into it, like I've been doing with Texas, um, just because I, I just didn't know that was something I really, really wanted to do. But I ran that show for a few months. It was so fun. And when I moved here, I just started noticing that there weren't, like there wasn't a lot of queer spaces and there wasn't a lot of things focused on, you know, women or non-binary folks in comedy. And my co-host, Alyssa Spatola, she was running the open Michelle up at the Roma room while that was still open. And the first time I went, I just went up and talked to her and I said, Hey, I would love to help you with this mic. Or if you ever, you know, if you ever need anything, please. Uh And so we produced the Michelle show, which was women and non-binary comics there at the Roma room. Unfortunately they closed down. So we lost that space, but then we were like, we could run a queer show because we're, you know, we're a part of that community and we care about this community. And I, I want to see queer comedians headline and get paid. Mm -hmm. You know, I wish there was more money in the industry. I wish I could pay everyone five times more than what I end up paying them, but at least giving people a paid spot in front of a queer audience Mm -hmm. or people that want to see queer comedy was really important to me. And so we, I told Alyssa I wanted to do it. She said, let's do it. I emailed the Creek in the cave, like 
out of nowhere. I think I was at an open mic one night. Kat Swantner was there. And I, when I got the email that said yes, uh-huh. I said, Kat, do you want to be on the first Texas show? And she was like, yes. And so um, it was just one of those things where I kind of on a whim, I was like, what's the worst thing that they're going to say is, no, we don't have the the space or the time to add another show. And now two year, almost two years later, October will be the two-year anniversary. So we're really coming up on it fast. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just has been really important to me to create these spaces, these spaces for comedians that don't necessarily fit the mold of what a lot of people might expect when they, like, think a comedian, you know, because comedians can be anyone. And like I said, I just wanted, I just wanted to create these spaces. I wanted people to feel included. I wanted people to have an opportunity to do a 30-minute set on a stage and get paid to do it. So that was really important to me and to Alyssa. And now our our third person that joined, Max. Shouting out Max for sure, because she's <laughs> saved our butts the last couple months. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. That's good to have somebody backing you up. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's still something that's incredibly important. I We've thought about bringing like the Michelle show back. Uh, unfortunately, there's only so many hours in a day and days in a week. Yeah. And... Um, you know, I, I'm going to be doing roller derby this <laughs> fall, so I'm, like, Yikes. barely going to be able to run, yeah. like, my shows and do work. And, yeah, so I already don't have enough time. Yeah. Um, but hopefully when the time comes that I can financially support myself by going part-time and I, I'm making just enough money to survive off of comedy, then that would be my focus is creating more spaces for um, for more different kinds of people. I want to see I want to see diversity in comedy. I you know, it's, that's so important to me. Yeah. It really is. So, yeah. yeah. It's really important to have people that have that vision and just don't get into the, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, it's hard. It's, it's really hard. And again, I have my days where I'm like, this is just so much work and I'm so tired and I feel like I'm fighting upstream and it's easy to just say, what if I just didn't do this anymore? You know, what if I just stopped and took a break and da, 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 da. And for me, I'm, I just tell myself, like, I'm actually in a position to where I can do this. I, you yeah. know, I'm, I have a decent job that pays me enough money that I have enough time to go do the things I like to do. Right now, I'm in a really good spot to do it. I should be doing it, yeah. you know, like, because there might be a time when I don't have the extra money or the extra time to do it, you know. And so, like, right now I can and I'm going to give it all I have right now while I'm in this lucky spot of mine. Yeah. And, you know, until that changes, it just feels like something I need to be doing. Like, I can't imagine not doing it. Even on those days when I just, like, want to cry or throw (laughs) something, throw my phone into the sea because I had to watch something horrible on the internet. And I was like, how do people think this is funny? Um, Yeah. Anyways. (laughs) How do they? I don't know either. Some things I just don't understand. But, again, I, I... I'm trying to have empathy here. I'm trying to be like, well, I, I just don't resonate with that. I mean, there's a line between like anti-trans jokes and like jokes that I'm just like, I don't get, but yeah, it's, there's so much out there that I, it's so easy to get frustrated if you let yourself. It is. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I guess that same FPIA mindset that, you know, just do the best that you can. There's no rule book. So there's people that are, you know, doing that, that kind of material but then there's also people that are doing nice, good material. Like just stuff that's so funny. Clean either. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't have to even be clean, but it's just no. really well written and the performance was spot on. Yeah. Like those are the things I want to watch. So I want to watch clever, interesting, mm-hmm. unique yeah. j- stories and jokes and watch people have the stage presence and just kill it. Like yeah. that is so satisfying to watch people just yeah. absolutely kill it on stage. And it feels good to do it yourself too. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I want, I also want to watch people succeed in it. It's yeah. the, the funnier people are here, the more people that are going to want to come here and do comedy yeah. and the scene's just going to grow. And I think that can be a really good thing. You know, mm-hmm. it's already grown an insane amount since I moved here. I mean, the, <laughs> it's n- night and day from when I first yeah. moved here to now. Yeah. So, cause you've, yeah. you've been here, what did you say? Almost eight years? Eight years. Oh, so you lived through pre. I lived through pre pandemic, but I also, I've taken many multi-year long breaks. Mm. So I started doing comedy when I first moved here, took a couple years off, started getting back into it right when the pandemic yeah. hit. So stopped doing it again. And the last roughly two, two and a half years, I've been just going yeah. all in again because I feel like I've finally 
have learned enough to, I say get myself into trouble, but I mean, like, I learned, I've learned enough to, like, be able to host a show very well, and I am getting spots that I feel really confident on, and I'm, I'm doing really well, and I feel like all of the reps and the work that I've been doing yeah. is starting to pay off, even though there's so much work to be done still, yeah, but, of yeah, but I feel like I'm finally getting to that point where I can, like, uh, what is it, is it reap some of the benefits? Is reap the right word? Reap? Yeah. So, oh, reap and sow. Yeah, I'm yeah. reaping because I sowed. Yeah. Sowed? Yeah. I wasn't really good at English. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I was a math and science kid. <laughs> okay. Uh, you're going to be my second person that I do this little question okay. with. And I, so far, based on the first one, this, I'm having so much fun with this question. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I want you to think about your favorite joke that you tell. I do not want to hear the joke. I don't want to hear any words from the joke. What I want to hear is why it's your favorite and what joy it brings you. Ooh, this is good. <laughs> because I've actually been working on this this bit and uh-huh. I don't think it's I don't think it's completely done yet, but it's really important to me and I actually told this joke, this kind of set of jokes last night at a show. Uh-huh. And it was the like the first time that it truly killed and like resonated with the crowd and I had people come up to me after and say I'm so glad you're talking about this Ah. it's like I'm really excited to hear I could resonate with it um it was jokes about the time that I was committed to a a hospital for my depression so I was in a psych ward and talking about you know talking about the darkness the you know the darkness of suicide and the darkness of being in a in a space where even your own family might not understand why you're there you know like my family wanted to connect with me but they didn't know how and nobody even knew because when you go to the hospital they take your phone yeah and I just didn't show up to work for like four days you know what I mean it was just and so first of all that was such a incredible experience for me because I'm still alive I mean my friend my one of my roller skating friends like saved my life like Mm -hmm. she came and took me to the hospital and I think it's just important that others know that mental health is is just as important as your physical health and it's it's something we should be thinking about more and that a lot of people experience anxiety and depression and and there's a lot of things out there that can cause our brains to you know operate differently mm-hmm. and talking about that and it's just something that's always been very important to me I've wanted to normalize depression since I was diagnosed at 17 Mm. because in my head I'm like I'm not different than you I just my brain functions differently um and it's my favorite joke to tell and I I haven't quite hadn't quite figured it out but I feel like last night was a moment where the point I was trying to make and the jokes that I was telling about it like really did hit and people understood that it's okay to laugh about it too you know like it's okay like you're allowed, I'm allowed, you know, I'm talking about this traumatic experience, but there, there is positivity on the other side of it, right? Like I, you know, I, I joke, I I joke about it, but like, you know, it's like I, I, I was taken out, like I, I got out, you know what I mean? So like, I, I must've done something right, you know? Um, but yeah, I'd say that's probably my favorite bit that I'm working on right now. And it felt really good last night to have somebody come up and just like hug me after the show and say, I'm so glad you're talking about this. We need more people talking about this. Mm. It was, I don't know. It felt great. It felt amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) It's always great when you get a bit to work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, I knew, I knew there was something funny about it. (laughs) I was like, yes, my suicide joke is going to work. Like, anyways, um, I won't tell the joke. You have to come see yeah, me at a show. Absolutely. That's that's why I've set the ground rules. Yes, exactly. You can't tell the joke at all. I hate podcasts where people tell the joke. I There's very rare times where I I've agree. ever asked. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want people to know about you? Oh gosh. Um, I don't know. I think we covered most of the important things. I mean, the like I said, the spaces I'm trying to create and the opportunities I'm trying to give myself and other people in my community have been like what's been driving me these last few years. And also, I think maybe the last thing I'll say is one of the biggest lessons I've learned in the last couple of years were, was like, it's okay to fail and be bad at something. 
Mm-hmm. And it's okay to even have done something for a decade and still be bad at it. You know what I mean? Like, it's okay. <laughs> like, there's no, like, you're allowed to yeah. be bad at your hobbies and you're, allo- and you're allowed to make progress and appreciate that progress. And I, I, God, I feel like I'm like, wow, she did go to therapy. You know, like, <laughs> I did. I still am. Thank you, Heather. Um, but, yeah, I just think that, there, I don't know, the human brain and the way we think about things and the way we tackle things is just so interesting to me. And I just love being surrounded by creative people and people that care about something. Yeah. And um, I can't imagine not being a comedian, you know? Yeah. I can't imagine it. Mm-hmm. I No matter how dark it gets or how sad I get, I'm like, well, I can't not do this. So, <laughs> yeah, it's just really important to me. And so that's probably the last thing I'd say. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Uh, I, and I just want to say that on, on behalf of people that are afraid of failure, uh, your your skating videos are really amazing because you really you're you're not only posting the ones where you finally get that trick yeah you are posting when you fall and you stumble and putting that on display especially on Instagram where everything's supposed to be filtered and perfect Oh no, I, I have a, I did a series for a while, the, a couple years ago when I first started, I did what, uh, Moxie runs this comp, I, they say it's a competition. I don't really know if it is, but yeah. to skate every day for a year hmm. and record a video of you and post it ah. online. And I was like, I'm going to do this. And I did. And more days than not, it was me falling. So I started my little trend called the daily splat and I would just post <laughs> videos of me falling <laughs> And people freaking love it. <laughs> people love it. They'd be like, that was such a crazy splat. Or yeah. like, oh my God, are you okay? And then, you know, I, so I post that. And then in conjunction with like, hey, I've been working really, really hard. I've been drilling this one trick, you know, this one stall or this one jump uh-huh. or whatever. And here's me doing it. Um, but also here's like how long it took me to get there. Because, yeah, yeah on, especially on social media, everything is like, everyone's got all the makeup and all the hair and you know, it's all filtered and it's beautiful. And like, Mm -hmm. I would love it if life was like that. Um, but it's not, my life is not, my house is a mess all the time. I'm falling on my roller skates all the time. I reopened a wound from earlier this week today. You know, I just like, but that's like, it's it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're, I'm going to fall. And yeah, the daily splats have really done a lot for me personally, but also I love when people respond to them and they say, I love that you post your fails. Like, I love that you do because it's a good reminder that not everything you see is, like, it's not easy. Like, what you're doing is not easy. Putting wheels on your feet and jumping into a (laughs) concrete bowl is, first of all, (laughs) insanity. No, like, you shouldn't be doing this. But it's not easy. Yeah. And comedy is not easy. I mean, if all this stuff was easy, I mean, everyone would do it. So I like highlighting the journey because that part should be the reason that you like it too, mm-hmm. you know? But yeah, I'm glad you said that about the skating videos. Uh, that that uh, that whole vibe is like really what I try to embrace yeah. in, in just like my persona is it's okay that yeah. you fall. And, and it's yeah. congratulations. You took this, this hobby that you learned, you know, self-taught and now you're going to be a derby girl. I'm going to be a derby girl. Yeah. yeah. Well, I have to get through the rookie program first. So that's what I'm doing this fall. So (laughs) assuming that happens, you will see Lucille Brawl playing (laughs) in probably January or February at TXRD. So hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, let me uh, ask you my closing question. Okay. One word to describe your future. I don't want it to be cheesy. I want... (laughs) Um... Hmm. The first word that came to my mind, and I'm just going to say it, and it's so stupid because it's so, you're going to know why. Bright, right? Bright. Yeah, my future is so bright, I'm wearing shades. And that was immediately what made me stop because I was like, that is such a dumb thing. But I keep feeling bright. And and I feel like you're catching me on this week where I'm, I've, I've had a lot of really good wins, wins that I felt like I needed. Um, and I'm feeling really positive and... Yeah, I just think there's so much more to happen. And bright was unfortunately (laughs) the first word that came to my mind. So here we are. (laughs) There there we are. Bright. I love it. 
Yeah. I, I, I love seeing the machinations that the people go, go through because they self-judge. The oh, word. I totally judged. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, no, what's the word? Because it is the first word that comes to yeah. mind. And that's why I said it, even though I knew I was going to embarrass myself. <laughs> well, you're not the first, so. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> Bright has been chosen many a time. <laughs> Good. So I'm just like everyone else. No. Finally. No. <laughs> Oh, man, no. I'm joking. <laughs> well, that is a wrap on Comedy Wham presents Sarah Spear. Tell us where we can find you on social media and your upcoming projects. Yes. So Instagram is where I am most active, and it is my name, but not backwards, just Spear Sarah. So yeah. my last name and then my first name. And then my website is thesarahspear.com because sarahspear.com was taken. Mm. There's another Sarah Spear out there. No, I saw and that I, I know. No, it's okay. <laughs> Sarah Spears are really rad, and I'm glad there's more of us. So, yeah, I, I just recently revamped my website. I've got an events page, and I haven't been as good about updating it as I should be, but I'm working on it. But I will post all of my shows, um, and I'm working on a sketch team right now. Like, I've got a lot of projects coming up, so everything's going to be eventually on my Instagram. So follow me at Spear Sarah, because that's where you'll see most of the content. Okay. Very good. Very, very good. We hope you've enjoyed learning about how Sarah got to be the comedic genius that you heard today just as much as I have. This has been Comedy Wham Presents Sarah Spear. I'm Valerie, and that's been funny. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you.